Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. My rock, my redeemer, my Lord, my strength, let this be all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is it. This is the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the day on which Christianity either lives or dies. What happened 2,000 years ago is so important. And what you believe or don't believe what happened then affects your life not only in the here and now, but in the hereafter. Let's put it again. What you believe regarding the resurrection determines not only your life in the here and now, but in the here and after. What do you believe about the resurrection? One road leads to death and destruction. The other road leads to life and peace and joy everlasting. But I have to tell you, for a lot of people, this day is not about the resurrection. This day is more about traditions. The stuff you do as a family. You know, the gathering together. Not many years ago, I came across an article on CNN... Uh, And the headline read this, I'm a millennial nun, no belief, but I still want Easter. Here's part of what the article said. Marking holidays such as Easter with particular traditions is a funny thing to care about if you are, like many of my millennial cohorts, not particularly attached to any religious belief. And yet... Many of us do care, observing traditionally religious holidays in sometimes untraditional ways, using them both as anchors and trampolines, ways to keep us moored in our culture and family histories, as well as jumping off points to discard what does not serve us or feels ill-fitting to our values and beliefs. We are, many of us non-religious millennials, still on the hunt for something fundamentally human, community, connection, devotion, something like church without the church part. Yeah. You see, people yearn. People yearn for the fruit of the resurrection without believing in the truth of the resurrection. Without the truth of the resurrection, there is no fruit. And so you will, as the article talks about, use, use things as a trampoline to jump from one place to another and one place to another in search of some sort of meaning until you find out that that trampoline really doesn't do anything for you or life circumstances have you get hurt and so you can't even jump anymore. Without the truth of the resurrection, there is no fruit of the resurrection. But with the truth of the resurrection, oh, there is much fruit. You see, in the truth of the resurrection, there's rejoicing. 
There's joy. There is true fellowship. There is peace. There is love that knows no ends. And the best fruit is that there is a salvation made sure. Our hope is sure in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. That is the resurrection. And we believe in the truth of the resurrection. And that's why we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed the truth of the resurrection. We believe. But this belief is not an easy believism, as so many people would think. You see, many millennials, many other people, the older people too, think, well, you just pick a religion, a faith, like it's a menu at a restaurant. And you just go and kind of go, oh, Christianity, Bo-. I'll take a little side of Christianity, a little side of Buddhism, and throw in some uh, pagan beliefs as well, and that's good enough. That's not our belief. Our belief actually is hard fought. Our belief is based on truth, not just opinion or a preference. And sometimes we have to go through darkness and dark times before we get to that belief. So let's go with our gospel reading. Our gospel reading, we begin with actually doubt and fear. Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stones had been taken away from the tomb. So this would have been Sunday, the first day of the week. It, and by the way, sunrise this morning was at 5.44 a.m. I know that because I was out in the park. It's the only time I actually see sunrises for religious observance. But it would have been murky out there. It would have been dark. And uh, they were going to a cemetery, really. They were going to the tomb of Jesus. They'd come to put more spices on the body because in those days there, there, there wasn't embalming. So they would wrap the body and put spices on so the body wouldn't decay so rapidly. And they hadn't been able to do that before because it had been the Sabbath. Now we know how the story ends, but put yourself in the place of those women that day. They had seen their Savior die. And they were dumbfounded. They were in mourning. They were heartbroken. I mean, if you were here for the Good Friday service, there was a sense of that that night, of true heartbrokenness. And they would have been exhausted. And they were without hope. I mean, their, their hope had been taken away. And a faith without hope, a faith with no hope, is a dead faith. They were like the walking dead. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of people like that, even so-called Christians who really have no faith, no hope, and they walk around dead. You might even have friends or family members who are like that, Christian or not. 
They've kind of given up on life. They're in so much doubt, so much fear, that they're just kind of waiting to die in many respects. This is endemic, by the way, in our culture. You know, each week we pray for people not to take their lives because there is so much suicide in our nation right now. This most prosperous nation in the world has had an increase in suicide. The increase in drug and alcohol use has been on the rise because there are people who have no hope. This was the state of the women coming to the tomb. Mary had found the rock rolled away. That was astounding. And then the tomb was empty. I mean, how could this be? She saw Jesus die. She was there at the foot of the cross. She had helped take care of the body. She had helped put it in the tomb. And now the body was gone. What do you make of that? So this is what it says. It says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. They thought that grave robbers had come to take, the, to take Jesus. Maybe those who had been opposed to him had come to take his body away so it would wipe Jesus off the face of the earth. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You see, most of us know Peter and John after the resurrection. And we think of them as leaders in the faith. And indeed, they were leaders in the faith. Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. John became a pastor And with love, he pastored so many people. And ultimately, he would even write the book of Revelation. And so we we rightly call them St. Peter and St. John. Because they were truly saints following Christ Jesus. But not that day. That day, they ran to the tomb because they too were filled with with doubt and fear. And it says that John outran Peter. I actually kind of find this kind of funny. I don't know exactly why it's in there, but it is. I don't know if it's bragging rights. It's like, yeah, and I beat Peter to the tomb. I, I don't know. It's just like one of those human details that's put in there. But then John also writes this. He said, and stooping to look in, He saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. He beat Peter to the tomb, but he stopped outside. And it says this word that he stooped to look in. And although I understand why it's translated this way, that's not the actual word. I mean, the idea is that you would have to uh, maybe the, the, the entrance to the tomb was low enough that you would have to stoop in, but it really wouldn't have been that low. We really didn't have to stoop. The sense of the word is that he glanced in. He kind of peeked in. He ob- observed 
what was going on, but he really didn't understand. The sense of the word to see was just to look, but not understand. And so he didn't understand, so he, he was outside of the tomb, just observing. And that's the way it is with many Christians, or I'm sorry, many people. Many people give Christianity a quick look or a glance, a once-over, if you will. But they don't go inside the tomb for understanding. People go, maybe go to church once or twice, kind of kick the tires of Christianity, kind of go, yeah, whatever. And then they go back to their menu. But see, you actually have to go inside the tomb. You have to go inside the tomb and not just glance, but look, investigate. You see, there is uh, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, James Warner Wallace. All of these three men that I talk about were at one time atheists. And not just atheists, but like angry atheists. They saw happy Christians and it made them mad. So what they did is they started to investigate Christianity. Oh, and by the way, Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ, and by the way, we're going to watch the movie The Case for Christ later on this year. Lee Strobel was such an atheist that when his wife said that she was a Christian, his first thought was, well, I got a divorce her now. I mean, that's, that's the state of them. But they started to investigate Christianity. They went into the tomb, so to speak, and they looked around. And the more they looked around, the more certain of what they saw was true. And, and they all became pastors, by the way. All became pastors. They became authors. And they also became what is known as a Christian apologist, someone who defends the faith. Because they didn't stay outside, they went in and investigated and really looked around. So if you are weak in your faith or you have no faith in Christ Jesus, take time. Look at the cross. Go inside the tomb. And you will have belief. You ultimately come to belief in the resurrection. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Whereas John glances in, Peter now looks, and there's an understanding the word there for to see means to behold, to perceive, to take in with understanding. So he, not, he just didn't glance. He really started to look and connect the pieces. And he saw two witnesses to the resurrection. The first is the linen cloths were lying there. Now, if a grave robber had come, two things. One they wouldn't stop to unwrap the body. That's the first thing. 
But even if they did stop to unwrap the body, they would have cut it apart. It would have been in shreds. And you don't get the sense from the text that the linens are all in shreds all over the place. Actually, just very neatly there. So that takes away any idea that somebody had come and taken the body. Rather, these were removed in a way that is a little hard to explain. And the other witness to this resurrection was the faith's cloth that covered his head. See, they wrapped the bodies separately. There was a separate face cloth that went over the head. And this face cloth wasn't just thrown about. It was actually folded neatly and placed apart from the linen. These are two witnesses to the resurrection. Now, I'm going to diverge here for just a moment because, you know, on the Internet how stories can circulate? I'm going to tell you one that has circulated that's not true. The King James Version in the 1600s translated face cloth as napkin. Okay? So somewhere around 2007, whether it was in emails or on the internet, somebody said, well, there was a Jewish custom in which when you finished your meal, you folded your napkin to indicate that you were returning. And so Jesus folded his napkin to indicate he was returning. You got the story? This is not a napkin. As a matter of fact, it can be translated a couple different ways. It can be face cloth, burial cloth, handkerchief, even a, and probably more accurately, sweat cloth. Okay? Why do I say that? Because we don't need to add any other significance to what the face cloth and the linens proclaimed. That he was not taken away that something very orderly had taken place here. So we let that speak to us by itself. Going on in our text, then the other disciple, this would be John, who had reached the tomb first, I don't know why he puts that in there again, right? I reached it first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John came in. Did he know everything about the resurrection? Did he know everything about scripture at that time? No. But what he saw, he believed. So what does it mean to say we believe? To believe in something. So the Greek word actually literally means to place one's trust in another. To believe occurs over 90 times in John's gospel alone, and it is always a word. It is a verb. It is active. I believe. To believe. To believe is the conviction based on the testimony that something is true or that someone is reliable. Listen, the whole purpose of John's gospel 
is found a little later on in chapter 20 from our reading. It is this. If you want to know the whole purpose why John wrote the book, it is this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We believe. Not just as a preference, not just as a menu, but that it is true that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe. To believe in Jesus is to put your life in the here and now and in the hereafter, in his hands. To believe is to trust him fully with your entire life, now and for life everlasting. You see, there's no middle ground here. There's no, a lot of people want middle ground, like those millennials. Yeah, you know, go back and forth. No, there is no middle ground. You believe or you don't believe. That's what Jesus asked for as well. He said this at the when just before Lazarus was raised, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked that question, do you believe? Do you believe this? He asked for a yes or no, not a maybe. To have faith in Christ Jesus is to say, you, Jesus, are my all in all. I believe, I trust Does that mean I fully understand Jesus? Does that mean I fully understand everything that Scripture has said? No, I don't. As much as I study, there's so much that I still don't know. Still don't know. I mean, as they say, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Hi, welcome to being a pastor. But I believe. I believe. They didn't understand it fully. They needed to grow in their faith. That's why we talk about here at Joy Church, we grow alive, deep, and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. So we grow in our faith. We grow deep. And through then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and many of you have experienced this, you start to become Bold or bolder in your faith. You're like, I never shared before, but I did this morning. Can you believe it? That's how important the resurrection is. Do you believe in the resurrection? You see, if you take away the resurrection, you take away everything from Christianity. 
The resurrection is not simply a little add-on to the Christian faith. It's not something you can give or take as a preference for you. I mean, really, without the resurrection, without the resurrection, what do you have in the Christian faith? Well, you could say, well, Jesus was a good man, taught us how to live a good life, that we're supposed to love one another. And, and on Easter Day, well, you know, it's, it's more like a metaphor, an analogy. And that's in the article, by the way, that's what the millennial said. It's an analogy. It's like a, a, an egg in Easter in which new life comes out or a butterfly from the cocoon. What has that to do with the resurrection? Doesn't, does it? The resurrection is life, and life everlasting. But if you take away the resurrection, Paul says this. If you take away the resurrection, Paul says, you and I should be pitied. I mean, really, pitied. He said, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, the cross has no meaning whatsoever. None. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, you and I are still in our sin eternally separated from God the Father. And we should be pitied for that because we would be fools of the highest degree. But, but, but in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now, in the original language, has been raised doesn't mean just a one-time thing. It actually denotes this. It means he has been raised and continues to be raised. He has come from the dead and continues to live forever. That's the meaning of that. That we have a risen Lord and Savior. Look, if you look in the graves of Buddha, of Confucius, of Muhammad, and others, you'll find their bones, but you don't find the bones of Christ Jesus in the tomb. As the angel said, why do you, see, why do you seek the living among the dead? You can do this. You can say, as Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. Not just as an intellectual thing, but Job said, I know. I know my Redeemer lives. You see, there was a pastor in England, very distinguished, and he was working on an Easter sermon. And he said this, the thought of the risen Lord broke in upon me as it had never done before. Christ is alive. I said to myself, alive. And then I paused. Alive. 
And then I paused again. Alive. Can that really be true? Living as really I am myself? And I got up and walked without repeat, with, about repeating, Christ is living, Christ is living. It was a new discovery to me. I thought all along that I had believed it, but not until that moment did I feel sure about it. And then I said, my people shall know it. I shall preach about it again and again until they believe as I do. So here we preach again and again. Not just Christ crucified, but He is risen. He is risen indeed. You see, that He is risen means that the cross has the full meaning. That He suffered, died, He paid the price for all our sins. And we, as we talked about on Good Friday, are not only forgiven, we are perfectly forgiven. It means that the good news found in Jesus Christ is truly good news. It means this, that death is not an answer. It means we can say, as Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. It assures us of a future hope that is secure. Peter wrote this. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the day. It is the Lord's day. It is the day of his resurrection. So for you, when it's dark, and I know, by the way, in the Christian walk of faith, sometimes it's dark, right? Sometimes it's difficult. And things weigh us down, don't they? I'd encourage you to go sit in the tomb. And not just glance but look around. So even when it's dark, even when there is fear, lift up your heart, your mind, your soul, heavenward, and declare, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then, live this day. Live this day. Not as Christians who are burdened down by everything, but with the joy of the resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and hallelujah.